Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. I think there come moments in the life of every parent when they wonder, when they wonder, will I ever get the respect and the appreciation that I think I deserve? You're a parent, you can remember those moments, those times when you wondered that. Was anything getting through? Would they ever say, you're right, Mom, you're right, Dad? Would that moment ever come? Because the division between the generations just seems so big. Les Christie, writing in a book called When Church Kids Go Bad, I read an excerpt of it this last week, tells of a, of a father and son a teenage son and his father, having a brief and angry exchange. The son had been out beyond curfew and was apparently trying to sneak back in, and the father caught him. The father confronted him and said, Where have you been? The son said, Nowhere. The father said, You obviously have been somewhere. Now it's time for you to grow up and take responsibility. Stop hanging out at the city square, walking up and down the streets at night. Learn to be responsible and grow up. Now you may think, hearing that, I wonder if Les Christie was reading my email. Because you're thinking, I had an exchange not too different like than that this past week. But if you're thinking that, let me assure you. He has not been reading your email That was not you and your teenage son, because that is actually an exchange that was translated from Sumerian tablets of 4,000 years ago. (laughs) So it wasn't last week. Christy goes on to share several other incidents. I'll share just maybe three or four of these with you. Consider this, the statement made by the ancient Greek poet Hesiod somewhere between 750 and 650 B.C. These are his words. I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. For certainly all youth are reckless beyond words. When I was a boy, we were taught to respect and be respectful to our elders, but the present youth are exceedingly wild and impatient. Written 2,700 years ago. Or Socrates, who died in 399 B.C., wrote this. Youth today love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up anymore when adults enter the room. (laughs) Have they done that for you? They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, guzzle their food, lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize their elders. About 2,400 years ago, that was written. And then one that some have estimated was written about 6,000 years ago by an Egyptian priest inscribed on a stone. Our earth is degenerate. Children no longer obey their parents. Can you imagine? 
calls to mind that quote calls to mind that quote that quote that says to one who does not know history everything is new <laughs> can you believe it not just hundreds thousands of years ago some of the very same kinds of challenges some of the very same kinds of problems that we have and you thought some of you it was just millennials or just Xers before that, or just boomers before that, or whoever it was. No wonder some parents stop and think, will the day ever come that I get a little appreciation, a little respect, a little recognition that maybe I have something to say? I wonder if a mother named Perline ever thought that. She had seven children. One of those children buried was one that she was focused on, concerned about seven children. She was, for all intents and purposes, a single mom. Her husband was alcoholic. He was seldom present. When he was present, wasn't present emotionally. I can't imagine the, the, the challenges, the struggles, the difficulties at trying to keep all these kids on the right path, teach them wisdom, keep them out of trouble, keep them educated, and Barry was right in the middle of it. And so she was trying. I don't know for sure. But I've got to assume that in a situation like that, a situation ruled by dire poverty, where she had to clean other people's houses in order to somehow make ends kind of get within shouting distance of each other, in all of that, she must have wondered at times, will the day ever come when I'm recognized for my attempts, get appreciation for my efforts? When one of the kids, maybe even Barry, will say to me, Mom, you did a good job. In fact, I even wondered if possibly she quoted to them our text for today. It's entirely possible as a Christian woman. The words are well known. Maybe she would have told them at some particular moment, some difficult moment, go read the Ten Commandments and spend some time with number five while you're at it. We're going to read number five. It's not very long. In fact, by the time you find it in your Bibles, it will probably be over. And some of the commandments to come are even shorter. But this fifth commandment turns us in the direction of family. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, because of the distance between our day and that day, and because of the familiarity of these words, it's easy for us to blow right past the words and not realize the countercultural nature that they represent. Honor your father and your mother. The interesting thing about those words is that if we compare them with other law codes of the time, at least the ones that we have found to which we have access, if we compare them with those, we discover that they did not say honor your father and your mother. They were focused on dad, on father, calling people to honor and to respect their fathers. In fact, not only their fathers, but any older man whom they might encounter. Even the well-known and well-studied Code of Hammurabi called for honor, for respect, for obedience of fathers. But then we come to the Ten Commandment law, 
And God communicating to this covenant people says, honor your father and your mother. It's amazingly balanced and even-handed for that day and time. In fact, that's often true in Scripture. Time and again, when you read about the relationship between parents and children, whether it be in the wisdom literature, in the law, in the prophets, you will find that both mother and father are mentioned. So the first thing we notice just out of the starting gate is there is a balance to this. In other words, it's as though God says to Perlene, Perlene, I haven't forgotten you. Honor your father and your mother. But as we linger over the commandment a bit longer, we immediately focus in on that first word, honor. Honor. What does it mean to honor our parents? Honor. Someone might answer that by saying, well, to honor someone means that we ascribe to them the value, the worth, the recognition that is their due. We treat them with care. We treat them with love. We celebrate them. That's what it means to honor. I think that's true. I think, for example, of two parents. I think they're honoring their child. As they sit in that auditorium and the music swells to fill the auditorium, pomp and circumstance, and the graduates begin to march down the aisle, and suddenly they're elbowing each other. There she is. There she is. There she is. Get a picture. Get a picture. She marches past. Not too many moments later, her name is called, Susie's name is called, and Susie strides across the platform to grasp that sheepskin in her hands, and mom and dad are on their feet, whistling, cheering, shouting, applauding. Just a bit later, in a much more quiet moment in a restaurant, they slide those gifts across the table. With tears in their eyes, they say, we are so proud of you. They are honoring her. That's what honor looks like to me. The commandment says, honor your father and your mother. Besides taking note of the, of the ethos of honor, is there any way that we can further unpack it to understand a bit more specifically what the commandment might be saying to us? What is it that it drives to accomplish? Well, sp having spent some time with this commandment again this week, I would suggest that three realities emerge from the commandment in terms of explaining more specifically what honor is. First of all, we honor our parents when we respect them. We honor our parents when we respect them. 
Clearly, what it means to honor parents will change throughout the life cycle. What it means for five- or six-year-old Barry to honor his mother, Perlene, will probably be obedience at that age. But by the time he's 25 or 50 or 65, what it means to honor mom, what it means to honor dad will be something very different. But the one reality that holds through, through all of it, is that sense of respect. In fact, the Hebrew word is interesting. The Hebrew word that in English is translated honor literally has to do with weight. With weight. The sense of the word is give the proper weight to something. Give the proper weight to someone. In other words, give the proper recognition, the proper respect. On the other hand, just a chapter later in Exodus 21, 17, where the text lays out the dire consequences of one who would curse father or curse mother, the word curse in that context in the Hebrew means to take lightly, to just take lightly. No big deal. No harm, no foul. Don't pay any attention to that. And so you place those two back-to-back against each other, and what it emerges saying is give the proper weight, the proper recognition, the proper respect to your mother and your father. Time has not made you equals. They are chronologically further down the pathway of life than are you, and there are some things they can share from their experience. Listen to that. Give proper weight to that. Pay attention to it. So what does it look like to either pay attention or just pass over way too lightly? Well, think about this. Suppose that you decide, I want to be a writer. I want to be the kind of writer, whether with pen in hand or a computer keyboard, I write stories, I write articles that will draw people in, that they will read, that they will be moved and touched and chained. I changed. I want to be a writer. Well, a good friend of yours knows of that dream, knows of that desire, and one day comes to you with some excitement and says, hey, listen, I met someone, excellent writer." And I prevailed upon him, asked him, I said, I have a, a good friend who really wants to be a good writer, and he agreed to meet with you and to talk with you, maybe to give you some pointers. And you say, uh, I'm actually kind of busy this week. And your friend said, wait, wait a minute, wait. What? I thought you would be excited about this. I thought you would be eager and, 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 and come right away. Well, you know, life's busy. You can't just drop everything on the spur of the moment, do anything you want to do. I've, I've, I've got things to do, people to see, places to go. Are you serious? So, so you're not interested in going to see this person and an exceptional writer? Well, I'm, yeah, I'd, I would do it sometime, just, just not right now. Wow. I didn't expect that. I mean, I really prevailed on this, this gentleman. I, I, you're serious? Yeah, I can't do it right now. W could you do me a favor then? Could you at least write a little note and say, thank you so much. I appreciate your willingness, but I can't do it. Can you write them a note? Write them a note? 
I mean, I didn't ask him. Wow. All right, fine. For you, I'll do it. What's his name? Well, his name is Bill. I mean, William, but he goes by Bill. All right. Last name? It's Bill Shakespeare. Um, I guess just write him a note. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to it one of these days. To take lightly is to minimize, to downplay, to not really care. Ah, oh, that's just mom. Don't pay any attention. That's just dad. No worries. He'll get over it. He'll figure out. Don't get into all that. Just let it go. No big deal. And the commandment says, honor. At least honor means give due respect. I think there's a second reality that emerges from this commandment. Not just that we honor mom and dad when we give them respect, but secondly, we honor mom and dad when we give them care, when we care for them. Literally. I want to read you some words from James Landis from his book, God's Finger Wrote Freedom, that puts this commandment into its context. In other words, to, into the context of those former slaves departing Egypt on their way to the promised land. Consider what this commandment might have meant to them. Listen to these words. A great deal more is involved in the depths of this fifth commandment than being obedient to parents until we are old enough to be on our own. In the cultural milieu of Canaan several thousand years ago, this commandment to the Israelites departed dramatically from accepted practice because in many cases, when the old could not support themselves, they were left in the desert to die of exposure or from the savagery of wild beasts. Within Jewish tradition, the fifth commandment has always been understood to reflect Yahweh's concern that the helpless aged be cared for by their children and be allowed to die with dignity, wrapped in the blanket of their family's warmth. This is a day and time far before extended care facilities and assisted living and nursing homes and as it sometimes gets called, old folks' homes. It was way before anything like that would be available. The option was simple. Either we bring mom and dad here, we care for them, or they are going to be, are going to be cast out and abandoned and die alone. And God says, no, 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 none of that. As your parents move into their sunset years in the way they cared for you, you now care for them. I love the way Londis puts it. You make sure that they are wrapped in the warm embrace of a family's love. I read commentary after commentary, scholar after scholar, and everyone was agreed in this commandment on one reality. This is calling people to account on their care for the aged. And because in that day and time there was no safety net, no social security, no government, nothing like that, then God's eyes turned to the adult children 
You care for them. It has been said that a society can be judged by how it cares for the elderly. What if that was said of the church? A church can be judged by how we care for the elderly. Now, I understand. I understand clearly that every situation is different, that every family has different abilities, and that many times somebody who is aging requires more care than family members themselves will ever be able to give. So consider the words of the scholar David Baker as he writes about the specifics of how that care might be offered, comparing the two worlds. Here's what Baker says. Of course, there are enormous cultural differences in the way human beings relate across the generations. For example, to put aging parents in a nursing home rather than accommodating them in one's own home would be a scandalous idea in some cultures. In another culture, however, provision of professional nursing care may be a good way of honoring parents, so long as it is done for the genuine good and not just to relinquish responsibility. Today's world is very different from that of the ancient Hebrews, and it would be unrealistic for us to simply model our family life on theirs. Nevertheless, the fifth commandment challenges the attitude of many today who show little concern for their parents when at home and seem to forget them after they leave. Do you know what I think might happen? If you and I decided this afternoon to go to an assisted care living facility, and talk with the staff. I think it might go something like this. Tell us about Mr. Jones in room eight. Oh, Mr. Jones, yeah, he's a nice gentleman. He's, he, he's very lonely. Does his family come to visit him? Haven't seen him in a long time. Occasionally they'll call, but they don't visit and what about Mrs. Smith over there in room 12? Oh, she's an angry person. She's, she's hard to be around. Family ever come around? No, no, no. They, I'm not even sure they came when, they, when she was brought in. They, they haven't been here since. I think we would hear that story more than we would ever feel comfortable with. Every situation is different. Every family's needs, demands, and abilities varies. The key issue is that underlying attitude, we will do what we honestly and possibly can to care for, to support mom and dad. My three siblings, Lindy, John, and Mary Ellen, have my undying gratitude. Everybody lives in Texas but me, a fact of which they often remind me. <laughs> but I will have to say that of all three, my oldest sister, Lindy Thomas, I am regularly stunned. She has, in many ways, put the living of her life aside for years. As she cared first for my father so he could stay at home, and now for my mother. It's an act of grace 
the likes of which I have seldom seen. Because as the years pass, these people who were once larger than life suddenly shrink in size. It wasn't that long ago when I was in Texas. I go there every chance I get. And I was standing one day with my arm around Mom, and I was just struck by how small, how feeble, this woman who left an imprint on my life that will never be erased. Small and frail and frightened about the winds of her world blowing too hard. I remember sitting with her one day. Her hands were kind of dry and I did something that I've never done. The men in our house didn't do this. I got some lotion. I began to rub them into her hands. And she looked at me like I had lost my mind. <laughs> I said, Mom, I love you. Wish I was able to see you more. It's an act of grace. So let me ask you, adult child, just a few questions meant respectfully. When was the last time you visited mom and dad? When was the last time you held a frail hand, kissed a wrinkled cheek, hugged a feeble body? When was the last time you wrote a letter? Don't text or email. They don't know how. Wrote a letter on a card. Mom and dad, thank you. Just thank you. I love you. When was the last time you participated in some way in their care? The commandment says, honor your father and your mother. I think honor means respect, but I think honor also means care. It means a third reality. Not only means respect, it not only means care, it also means truth. Truth. Because we at times honor people telling them the truth, even when the truth is difficult. Because let's be honest, there are parents, and their number is higher than any of us might wish to admit, there are parents who have lived their lives in a way that is not worthy of honor and respect. Let's just be honest. There are angry fathers and spiteful mothers, vindictive dads and vengeful moms. There are parents who have left the indelible scars of the way they interacted with you on your life, and those scars will never fully disappear. There are parents who require respect but never earned it. Parents who desire honor but don't deserve it. Parents who want appreciation but don't merit it. And so then we have to ask, how do we approach this? This commandment that says, honor your father and your mother when the person with whom we're dealing by the estimation of any fair-minded individual would say, they don't deserve that. Well, I hope we never walk away from the possibility of forgiveness and grace. But let not, let's not move there too rapidly because before that comes truth. 
There is a time to speak the truth, as Paul says in Ephesians, even though we do it in love. There is a time to say the ways in which my childhood unfolded, the way in which your anger, your drinking, your, your guilt, whatever it was, the way in which that affected me continues to echo and reverberate in my life to this very day. There is a time for truth. But even there, let's be cautious. I have to say that in those moments of frustration that I would see mom have or dad have when I couldn't understand, somehow the years, and I think back, and now I say, wow, I understand some of that now that I didn't understand then. So even the truth needs to be given with love. One more quote from the scholar David Baker who gets quite practical about this as he writes about this issue in the fifth commandment. Baker writes this, to honor one's parents might mean to avoid exposing them to unnecessary shame even while taking appropriate action to deal with the issues. Intergenerational family therapy can be helpful here in bringing together the values of honoring parents and the need for personal authenticity, enabling clients to respect their parents while still respecting themselves. So yes, there is a time for truth. There's a time for honesty. Would you not want to know the truth? At times we honor people by giving them the truth, even if they may not wish to hear it. But don't forget Paul's words, Ephesians. Speak the truth, but do it in love. In fact, there's another statement Paul makes in Ephesians because the truth is, for some here today, as you're reading through this commandment, you're saying, wait just a minute. That commandment is talking about a two-way relationship, parents and children. That's two ways, but it is only addressing it one way. It's laying all the burden on the children. Children, respect, honor, care for your parents. How about a little fairness here? Well, the Scripture does offer that. Listen to the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul, talking about this very commandment, says this. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. But he doesn't stop there. Fathers. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Remember to whom Paul is writing. He is writing to people who live in the world of the Roman Empire. He is writing to a world where the father had what was called at that time patria potestas, the father's power. The father's power was absolute. He had control over all things to do with his wife and his children. And yet now Paul writes to fathers who have claimed the name of Christ, and to them he says, Fathers, yes, it's fair to expect obedience from your younger children. That is fair. But let me tell you, if you have named the name of Christ, then here's my instruction to you, fathers. Be patient with your children. Be gracious. Be kind with them. 
Don't exasperate them by setting impossibly high standards and having expectations they will never be able to reach. Don't do that. Instead, be gracious. Be kind. It is a two-way street. And as such, at times, the best way to honor the value of a relationship is to speak the truth. And so the commandment says, honor your father and your mother, respect them, care for them, tell them the truth with grace. But then it ends by saying, for thus your life will be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Paul will say long on the earth. In other words, the thinking of the commandment is this. If there is the evidence of good parent-child relationships, that's an evidence of healthy families. And if there are healthy families, that's an evidence of healthy communities. And if there are healthy communities, that's evidence of a healthy society. And if there is a healthy society, that will be a long-lasting society and culture. Paul says, that's a promise. That's the way life works. And so he says, honor your father and your mother. First commandment with a promise. And that includes not only you and me. That includes Pearlene. Pearlene with quite a few children, an absentee father, and young Barry. I think there must have been moments in her life when she was wondering, when will a parent get what a parent deserves? When will the appreciation come? When will that happen? But a day at a time, a moment at a time, an exchange at a time, she stitched the values of, of ethical thinking and hard work and fairness and courage into the fabric of young Barry's life in such a way that as he grew, his life honored her. He would grow up to not only go to school, not only go to college, but to go to graduate school to the tune of earning three master's degrees. He would then follow that up with two doctoral degrees. He would then follow that up with becoming a rear admiral in the United States Navy and finally arriving where he now sits, chaplain of the U.S. Senate. Chaplain Barry Black, the first Seventh-day Adventist to hold that position, the first African-American to hold that position. And if you were to ask him, how did that happen? He might say this. These are his words. My mother was a beautiful person who connected with all her children and made each of us feel special. She was a storyteller with the ability to find allies and build networks. I inherited these skills from my mother. In fact, she told me, Barry, 
you will have a special destination in life and a life with God. A special destination in life, Barry, and a life with God. Regardless of father and whether or not he was still living in sin and mother and whatever happened in her life and his brothers and his sisters, whatever was unfolding in their world, he clung to that reality. I will have a destination in life and a special life with God. So that that land to which he moves is not just the ancient land of Canaan, but the heavenly land of Canaan, where life with God will be eternal and everlasting. And so he, along with us, moves toward that heavenly Canaan to that city called heaven.